Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Jörg Gerlach. Dr. Gerlach is a professor of surgery at the University of Pittsburgh and a member of the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine. Uh, Dr. Gerlach is known around the world for his pioneering studies in the development and application of bioreactors. And so let me say welcome, Dr. Gerlach, and uh, Perhaps a place to begin is uh, maybe tell our listeners what a bioreactor is. Hello, John. It's a great pleasure talking to you. Um, we establish a group in Pittsburgh which focuses on cultivating cells in vitro um, other than the typical so-called Petri dish techniques. In Petri dishes or culture flasks, cells are put into such... Um, container which have a flat culture surface and those cells grow as a, on that flat surface in a two-dimensional layer. That is the usual way of cultivating cells and um, modifying, um, manipulating or just um, studying cells and it's very useful for cell biology but it's not that useful for clinical translation projects in regenerative medicine. So we are hoping to transition for in vitro work with cells um, the actual available methods into methods which come closer to the physiological situation of those cells in the normal body. Um, especially the cells which regenerate tissues, um, like liver regeneration as an example, um, they live in a 3D blood-perfused tissue and we try to build bioreactors in which we can culture those cells in vitro in a 3D configuration where they spontaneously recreate tissues-like structures and where they're perfused not with blood but with um, synthetic um, culture medium. So those bioreactors are sophisticated culture dishes or culture flasks and they enable also a scale-up of the technologies for the production of cells in regenerative medicine or for a better control of the cells to um, differentiate specific cell performances um, from um, stem cells. So am I correct in uh, suggesting that in addition to the, the attributes of the cells that you, you get with a, your three-dimensional bioreactor, it also gives you the ability to, to uh, generate uh, new cells a lot faster because they're generating in three dimensions versus two dimensions. Um, it's not only faster, it's more likely, hopefully, better. Right now, regenerative medicine um, aims to help to regenerate tissue in liver, skin, pancreas, um, and other organs. Um, if, and that, in, in one aspect, cell transplantation is a very important method. In other aspects, the stimulation of regeneration of the patient's own cells in the body are um, an aspect. But if we want to transplant, repair or regenerative cells, we need to um, keep that these cells in a better state. In, with bioreactors, you can on one hand address the scale, the cell number of cells which can be offered to a patient, but on the other hand, um, you also can influence the quality of the cells. Especially um, regenerative cells are mostly related to adult stem cells in the body 
and adult stem cells in petri dishes or in standard cultural techniques don't survive for long, um, and they de-differentiate, they lose their typical um, qualities and performances. And in 3D perfusion bioreactors, we hope we can address that those cells can be kept longer at low, higher numbers and in a better differentiation status. So for our listeners, I think we could say that uh, what you're developing is, are some very unique tools that can be used by not only yourself but a lot of other scientists in terms of various regenerative medicine therapies. Right. In regional regenerative medicine, if you read in the newspapers today, um, there are lots of discussions around stem cells. Various researchers are discovering really nice, interesting sources for stem cells um, or ways to better control the behavior of stem cells in vitro. Um, on a long run, to make those cells available for the development of a possible therapy for patients, one needs to do that on a reproducible way and on a scale where several patients, if not lots of patients, can, um, can be treated with a cell population. So scale up is very important. Um, the control of differentiation to preserve the character of the cells is very important. And once cell biologists reach the level that they have discovered or developed ways to better control cells, they may be in need of larger scale 3D perfusion systems to move their cells to the patient arena and to enter clinical translation projects. So now that uh, we have these tools that we can talk about, uh, you've mentioned different organ systems. I heard you mention liver and uh, I heard you mention skin and other, other systems as well. You just share with us briefly some of the potential applications of bioreactor technology with uh, these uh, needs and opportunities. Um, our own projects relate to a better control of the cells in the pancreas the so-called beta cells which produce insulin. They regulate the blood sugar level and in the um, blood sugar disease, diabetes mellitus, patients have a loss of those so-called islet cells. One of our projects um, aims to isolate um, adult islet stem cells, expand them in number, and to enable a larger scale availability of those cells for possible um, islet stem cell transplantation therapies. Another project is um, the isolation and culture of liver cells and we're interested in two kinds of therapies. We would like to address um, chronic liver disease where the regeneration of the organ in, the, in end stage chronic liver disease is not possible anymore. And we would like to develop therapies where we uh, inject liver repair cells, regenerative active um, liver um, progenitor cells, adult stem cells, which would, be, um, which would help the patient in end-stage stage chronic liver disease to um, regenerate um, active liver tissue. For that, we're working on bioreactors which differentiate those cells in the proper way and which are able to expand the cell number to enable availability of larger cell numbers. Um, other bioreactors are of interest in the field of liver for an extracorporeal liver support system. As you probably know from dialysis in kidney disease, um, 
there are extracorporeal kidneys where you have a device next to the patient and via bloodlines and blood pumps there is a temporary um, support of the kidney function with such a machine. With liver we would like to um, develop bioreactors which contain biologic active liver cells and those bioreactors would um, be connected to the patient's blood or plasma in a way that temporarily in acute liver failure until regeneration of a patient's organ and acute liver failure occurs, we offer the patient temporary liver support. That device could be of interest also for, the, for bridging the availability of, um, to the availability of a donor organ in case of acute liver failure and in need of a transplantation organ um, so that the patient can survive the waiting time until the transplant organ is available. Uh, relative to this particular application, I believe I understand that you've had some, in Germany, some clinical experience with uh, some relatively successful outcomes. Uh, can you share just a bit of uh, that experience, please? So we, um, we already developed bioreactors for extracorporeal liver support, and I believe that those systems are nicely working. We used those systems in patients with acute liver failure for bridging to liver transplantation, um, initially with um, cells from porcine livers. Um, there we treated eight patients in a clinical um, phase one study. Those patients um, all survived and could be successfully bridged to transplantation, while during the application we had a stabilization of their clinical course. However, the discussion of PERF virus um, contamination came up and it is still in debate today whether one should use porcine cells or porcine living tissue for regenerative medicine purposes. So our, although we developed an interesting bioreactor, we had the problem that the cells we used um, are critically viewed. We then thought um, since there is a considerable number of transplantation organs, liver organs, which are explanted for transplantation, but then turn out to be not suitable um, to be transplanted, we isolated human liver cells from those organs and again started a clinical feasibility study where we treated nine patients and um, in contrast to the use of porcine cells, um, at least in some patients, we had an even better outcome. The liver coma grade in acute liver failure patients improved significantly, and um, um, patients could be even um, taken away from the artificial ventilation during um, our therapy, for example, um, four to five days after starting such a bridging therapy. So with adult liver cells, we had even nicer results um, as compared to porcine cells, which can be explained by the um, higher compatibility of human cells to human patients, um, of course. But then um, transplantation in general moved forward uh, intensive care around transplantation, the surgical techniques improved. Meanwhile, really every organ which is explanted um, is used, even borderline organs, because the intensive care around um, the patient improved and the organs recover after a, a period of adaptation. So our second thought source for extracorporeal liver support, human cells from discarded transplantation organ, um, isn't really available anymore. That is why we um, 
we are now working on the question whether we can work with adult liver stem cells to generate enough cells for extracorporeal liver support. So just to summarize your, your clinical experience, uh, I, as I understand what you told us, that there were cases using discarded human liver cells in your bioreactor where you were able to support some patients until they got a liver, where a liver transplant was available. And in other select cases, you were able to support them until their liver regenerated and you were able to take them off the extracorporeal support system. Is that correct? Yeah. Good. Although the study focused patients which were bridged to liver transplantation, but we had, I think, two patients mm -hmm. um, which made it without transplantation. Mm -hmm. So one of the things this, uh, I believe, shows us is the regenerative capabilities of liver, which uh, others have suggested is a, is, is a reality as well. Right. So your original question was which um, therapies our own group is um, working on. I mentioned um, pancreas islet cells for the generation of transplantable organs to address diabetes mellitus. I mentioned liver cells. Um, we are also interested in bone marrow cells. The bone marrow cells produce the blood, the blood cells, and it would be of interest to develop a system where blood cell production in a bioreactor could be performed outside of the human body. Um, in particular, the um, blood platelets or um, um, some cells of the immune system are not available in sufficient numbers and it would be really interesting to use bioreactors as a kind of cell factory where bone marrow cells are used, um, where their stem cell character is maintained, but as in the normal body, um, those stem cells on one hand um, maintain themselves while partially differentiate and produce blood cells. So such an in vitro bone marrow system would be, um, is another um, project of interest. And um, we are also working with neuronal cells to develop methods where outside of the body in culture, so-called in vitro studies are enabled where we are using 3D techniques to better um, to maintain neuronal stem cells in a better stage where they can um, they can exhibit the typical neuronal activities in a better way, which is of interest for the development of drug therapies um, for neuronal diseases. So this is done together with um, Peter Rubin from Plastic Surgery and Casey Mara um, of the McGowan um, Institute. Another project where we collaborate with partners is um, a project where we try to develop systems where cancer cells and cancer stem cells can be better studied in vitro. This is performed with um, Eric Lagasse of the McGowan Institute, where we aim to develop in vitro culture models in which um, patients' cancer cells can be tested on various anti-cancer drugs to find out the optimal anti-cancer therapy before the clinical therapy starts so that the patient gets the right anti-cancer drugs. Yes, uh, Dr. Lagasse has uh, been a guest on a prior podcast and uh, if I recall correctly from some of our discussions with him, 
the other thing that you and, and he have been able to do is to uh, uh, isolate cancer stem cells and then recreate tumors in, in, your, in your bioreactors. Yeah, it was really interesting to see um, Eric Lagasse focuses on um, colon cancer. Um, he isolated stem cells which mutated and formed colon cancer. Um, if, you, if you put those cells into normal culture dishes, they are flat. They do, really don't look like um, colon structures. Um, if you put those cells in 3D perfusion bioreactors, they try to recreate the inner surface of the colon in a way that the typical anatomical structures can be seen in such a bioreactor, really, uh, which is really not the case in a Petri dish. So you mentioned a few moments ago that uh, the, the bioreactors are a cell factory. And it seems to me that, in fact, it's a, it's a very specialized cell factory that has uh, uh, the ultimate control in terms of the various <clears throat> parameters that you're trying to reproduce and, uh, and uh, replicate from uh, various uh, organ systems in the body. So it seems to me that you have a very unique and a very resourceful tool that not only will aid you, but uh, many of your collaborators as well. So perhaps uh, you can uh, share with us a uh, few of your collaborative endeavors. Um, well, I mentioned already Eric Lagasse and um, tumor cells. I mentioned Casey Mara from um, bioengineering and neuronal cells. Um, I mentioned the um, islet, the pancreas islet cells project, which is done, which is done in, a in a collaboration with Massimo Trucco here from Pittsburgh. <clears throat> a further project. Um, relates to the development of therapies for burn disease patient. This is done with our colleagues in Berlin, Germany, and um, we are starting um, a project with the Department of Defense to incorporate or to enable using our technologies also in the burn center of the U.S. Army in San Antonio, Texas. Here we have a very particular application of a bioreactor. We are isolating cells from the patient to cover burn uh, skin cells from the patient to cover an, a skin area of that patient which was burned due to, for example, a barbecue accident. Interestingly, the really heavy barbecue accidents are not as um, um, rare as, as I thought. It happens much more often as people generally believe and sometimes really sad situations. So in such a situation we're isolating cells from a healthy part of the skin and then we apply those cells to the um, burned area. However, these therapies are not um, really very successful um, because those cells sometimes do not grow on the burned area of the skin. So our approach is to develop a bioreactor which supports skin cells but in the wound of the patient. So we are isolating human skin cells, we are spraying the cells onto the burn side of the patient with a special spray device which was also developed by our group and then our project aims to have a bioreactor on top of those cells on the burn wound under the wound dressing. So we are developing an active wound dressing with bioreactor artificial capillary membranes which serve for nutrition of the cells, which serve for oxygenation of the cells, which enable um, cleaning of the wound, wound irrigation, 
in order to um, improve the growth and the regeneration of skin cells in the burn wound. So if I could uh, characterize your, your active wound dressing, and perhaps this is uh, analogous to a, a two-dimensional bioreactor, because you, as I understand it, you apply this over the wound after you've applied the, uh, sprayed the cells in, into the wound itself. Right. Well, originally we started with flat sheet membranes, and the thought was to have a 2D surface on that 2D surface of the skin, um, indeed. But then we learned that the use of um, hollow fiber capillary membranes um, offers lots of advantages. So we are using kind of an arteriovenous capillary system made out of artificial capillaries. Those um, capillaries, they, they can be already considered as a 3D, as a thin 3D system in the wound of a patient. You, you've described this, uh, this burn treatment system. Do, have you had any uh, clinical experience that suggests uh, its applicability? Well, you know that um, I studied and started my career in Berlin, Germany. The skin project started with my Berlin work and with the Berlin um, Burn Center. We started two clinical studies. Um, the first clinical study was the development of techniques for the isolation of cells from a healthy part of the wound. And then we um, tried to improve the culture media and the culture conditions to expand the number of cells um, for um, applica application on the, on the burn wound site. In that um, project, it is necessary to have a one, two, three week of cell expansion to address the required number of the wound. In a soldier, uh, and, and that was done with like 18 patients in Berlin, very successfully. The burn surgeons are really, are really convinced, um, and they also published that, that this method is very, very nice. Um, for this, we developed a specific spray application device where the cells, after expanding in numbers, are, um, can better, um, can better um, distribute it over the wound. So that was a second project which was applied by the Berlin colleagues. And now we are right now developing a protocol in which the cells are isolated from the healthy part of the, of the same patient, but in a way that the liver, uh, sorry, the skin stem cells are better protected. So if we isolate cells from a healthy part of the patient's skin in a way that the skin stem cells can be isolated too, and with the conventional methods, those cells are mostly lost. Um, however, if we are able, and we, we are, we did that already, um, to preserve the skin stem cells during isolation, we can, and this is our hypothesis, we can spray those cells right away onto the skin wound, which would avoid a two, sometimes one, sometimes three week expansion period where the patients really suffer in the ICU while they're waiting for their cells. So our third project relates, and this is now done in six patients, I believe. Um, our third project relates um, to the development of a cell isolation method, which um, in combination with intraoperatively spraying the cells right away in the same OR session, um, preserves the stem cells for the patient um, burn wound. A further project 
and that has not been done clinically um, um, until today, would be the combination with these artificial hollow fiber membranes in an active wound dressing. That wasn't done clinically right now. So our patient treatments were performed in Germany, and we hope that we can transition that within the scope of a DOD project um, to um, the Burns Center in San Antonio. Very interesting, and I've had the privilege of seeing a few photographs of uh, patients treated with this technology, and I think it's very clear that the, the outcomes are uh, significantly better in terms of reduced scarring as compared to uh, what others would consider the state-of-the-art in terms of burn treatment. So, Dr. Gerlach, uh, in addition to these exciting uh, endeavors that you've shared with us, uh, I believe you also have some other international collaboration with, uh, with the uh, medical facility at Palermo, Italy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center here in Pittsburgh, we have a very unique opportunity of enabling kind of in-house research with locations which are managed through UPMC. Um, UPMC operates a large transplantation center in Palermo, Italy, as you already mentioned, and with those colleagues which are very interested in establishing innovative therapies around transplantation um, medicine, we are, we are planning to transition some of our research projects um, into clinical studies. One project will aim the transplantation of liver progenitor cells in patients of end-stage chronic liver disease. Um, they are interested in the skin project we already mentioned, and they're also very interested in the pancreas islet cell um, transplantation project to treat diabetes mellitus. So with the Palomo colleagues, we have a very unique opportunity um, of a major transplantation center which specializes in transplantation, but which has an infrastructure including clean room areas, um, good manufacturing, um, cell production facilities, etc., to move ahead into clinical translation studies on cell-based therapy. So, Dr. Gerlach, you've uh, shared with us a host of exciting and innovative uh, both scientific advancements as well as uh, emerging therapies. Many of our listeners are really interested in therapies, uh, if, and we need to recognize these are all research projects, but uh, where might this field be in, in perhaps five years? So, generally, something which is developed in one lab um, needs to be tested outside of that lab um, so that a possible success of those research um, results can be, can be um, reproduced by others. Um, so our hope is going into two directions. In five years, I hope that we have several clinical studies ongoing with the cells which are generated um, with the help of our technologies. And on the other hand, I hope that several other groups um, outside of our university um, are working with these technologies to, um, to use 3D perfusion techniques for their own stem cells, for their own clinical translation projects. We would like to develop a network of collaborations where others are working with those technologies and using such technologies for their own stem cell and regenerative medicine um, therapy. Um. Very good. I'm uh, certainly impressed and I'm sure our listeners will be impressed with uh, 
a brief synopsis you provided of your scientific endeavors as well as uh, your uh, preliminary clinical assessments of some of these technologies. Uh, so I thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, I know your group has a very extensive website and we will provide a link on the uh, podcast website to uh, Dr. Gerlach's website for those that wish to uh, further study his, uh, his areas of interest and uh, accomplishments to date. As we conclude this uh, podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners that uh, we cannot uh, diagnose uh, medical problems over the Internet. Uh, the purpose of these podcasts is to share exciting and emerging technologies that uh, hopefully will soon be clinically available for those who have an interest. Uh, we welcome suggestions in terms of topics to cover, and you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And I'd like to uh, conclude by thanking the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine, who sponsors these podcasts. Uh, best wishes to all until we meet again in two weeks with another uh, interview. Thank you and have a good day.